my mom had been driving me there, and she would get up. God bless my mom for doing that for a bunch of years, so maybe some extra coin during during high school. So the the third day that I had my driver's license, I'd only done this. She still came with me the first day because she just didn't trust that I could do it on my own. So that, this is really only the second day that I had done this on my own. So I went and I picked up the newspapers from where they where they were dropped off. And I put them into the back of the station wagon and drove over. Or, or I was the van at this time. We had just purchased a van that year. And I got and I dropped the newspapers off. And I remember hearing somebody yelling at me from behind in the parking garage. And I hear, put the stuff down, put the stuff down. And I lived in Brantford, Ontario at the time. Brantford is like city of 75,000, small town. We had this like local newspaper. And I thought, you want the Brantford Expositor? <laughs> you can have the Brantford Expositor. I'm going back to bed. And I turn around and I see two masked men running at me, waving a gun, saying, put the stuff down, put the stuff down. And the guys came and they proceeded to grab my hands, handcuff me behind my back, blindfold me, put me in the back of my van. And for a period of four or five hours, I was held captive. And I'm, I can still feel at one point when they ran and they put the gun to the side of my head and they said, you're not, like, not going to say anything, you're not going to do anything. Four or five hours, I'm in the back of a van, handcuffed, blindfolded, under, under a blanket. And I had been a Christian for about two years at the time. And I remember praying that whole time in that car, envisioning that I was going to die, thinking, God, this is, this is the end of my life. I'm not sure what happened. At first, I thought we were going to Mexico for a while. I don't know why, but I, I had this envision that these men were putting me in a van and we were driving to Mexico. That was like... That was my 17-year-old understanding of what happens when you get kidnapped. You always go over the border, and they're, they're, take, they're taking you somewhere bad, and I, I don't know. But they didn't take me somewhere bad. They, they, robbed a, they robbed a warehouse in Brantford, and apparently the police thought that the, the reason why they took me is because they were probably trying to steal a car, and then some 17-year-old kid shows up with keys to a car, and they're thinking, wow, we can, this will be a lot easier. And they maybe weren't planning on taking a hostage, but they did. And um, they ended up letting me go un- unharmed physically, a little bit scarred emotionally. And I remember that whole time being in the back of the van and, and afterwards just thinking, God, what's going on? I'm a, I'm a good kid. I was delivering newspapers to, a senior, <laughs> to senior citizens. I get, I get up at 6 in the morning to do this. I just became a Christ follower. I'm learning to do what you're asking me to do. I'm serving at my church in the week. God, what the heck? Like, I'm a good kid. Why, why, why am I getting kidnapped? And I struggled with that for a long time. And it, it came to this question, God, why does this horrible thing happen to somebody who's trying to do their best to live for you? And if, and if, we, really, if we really came to, to the heart of what a lot of people struggle with, why they can't serve God, is why do bad things happen in our world? Why do bad things happen? happen to good people. And this is something that I've, I've, been, I've been kind of wrestling with over about the course of a year. And it's funny because I've, I've kind of touched on this and I know I've spoken this message a little bit to our, to our youth. And it's something that I've really been fighting with because I believe that a lot of people really struggle with saying, God, how can I serve you when there's horrible things happening in the world? God, when I turn on the news and I see that there's a two-year-old that passes away because he was left in a car in our own community... God, you're not in control. There is no way that a loving God is in control when that little boy dies. God, I look around the world and I see protests in Egypt and there's, and there's, there's, there's unrest and there's, and there's all these, thi- all these things happening to, to 
people in countries all over the world, God, you're not in control. I can tell you're not in control because my eyes tell me that you're not in control. And I wrestle with that individually on that day and say, God, I'm trying, I just, I wasn't kidnapped when I wasn't a Christ follower. (laughs) Now that I am, there's a gun held up to my head. God, why do bad things happen to good people? And we come by this perception very naturally because our parents protect us, right? Hope loves to tell the story of a couple of springs ago. We were bike riding down by Lake Ontario. And if you go to the, if you go to the Mississauga Lakeshore, there's some, there's like this nice trail that goes all the way through down through Oakville and Burlington. And in Mississauga, it's built up with some rocks. And Hope was, we, we had, we had found like a raccoon or something on these rocks and Hope wanted to explore it. And we're trying to keep her back, but she loves to kind of explore, you know, and she, she's going, and it was wet. So she's, she's on the rock and she, and she slips. And I'm right beside her. So I lunge out and I push her back. And then I kind of go crashing into the lake and I have this big gouge in my leg. But she loves to tell the story because that's when daddy jumped into the rock and smashed his leg and was bleeding. But I protected her and I saved her and she felt, she felt protected. And all of us like to feel that we have people in our lives that protect us, right? And we come by it very naturally with right beginning in our early childhood. Our parents are protecting us. Even now, when you have a bad day, isn't it great to call mom or dad and say, Mom, I had a bad day. It's nice to feel that somebody's protecting us when the bad things happen. So it's very logical for us to, if I consider my mom, she's five foot one, 120 pounds, a little bit kooky. If I figure that she can protect me, then the creator of the universe, my father, Lord of everything, he can protect me, right? It's very logical for us to come to that conclusion. But I want you to consider some of the stuff you've been dealing with this week. And then you consider, Lord, are you really in charge? And for some of us, we would say it's proof that God is not preventing bad things from happening. So I want to take you to my life journal from a few months back. It's out of the Psalms. Psalm 25, 19 to 21. And it's David looking around at some of the things that are going on in his life and saying, Lord, are you protecting me? I'm a good person. I've done the right things. And here's what he comes to. He says, see how many enemies I have in Psalm 25, 19, and how viciously they hate me? Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced. For in you I take refuge. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. Let me read to you what I wrote in my life journal a few months back. My observations were, from studying the writings of David, he was very aware that there were people in his life who were consistently out to get him, as well as numerous situations that presented potential danger. This is just one of many Psalms where David is crying out to God about protecting him from his enemies. I find it interesting that David identifies his own personal integrity and honesty as reasons why God may want to take extra care to keep David safe. However, a study of David's life leads us to know that David was chased from the palace. Remember Saul's throwing spears at him? And he was forced to live in the wilderness. He was hunted like a wild animal for many years. And even though he experienced great military success when he eventually became king, his own sons would rise up in anarchy against him and overthrow to overthrow his kingdom. David's own men would have to kill one of his own sons in order to protect the life of the king. Doesn't exactly sound like a life that's protected from harm, like he says in this psalm. My application was, 
One of the key questions of faith people wrestle with is why do bad things happen to good people? All of us see examples of decent people who experience hardship. And at times it makes us question whether or not they deserve it. A deeper question may be, if bad things keep happening, is there even a loving God out there in control who actively works to protect people? Surely, if there were a God like this, he would protect us. Never would a righteous king of Israel, described as a man after God's heart, be allowed to suffer like this. No good God would have these injustices in the universe. But maybe he does. Maybe he allows pain for a purpose. Maybe sin has so plagued human existence that it's not God punishing. It's God giving us a chance to experience the reality of what sin is and why it caused the death of his son. Yes, even God has bad things happen to his family. So maybe the question should be, why does God allow, shouldn't be, why does God allow these bad things to happen? Maybe the question should be, God, can you give me peace in the midst of them and a hope that one day I'll never experience them again when I live in perfection with you? So my prayer was, God, forgive me for questioning your omnipotence because something bad happened in a broken, sinful world. My faith is not rooted in what I can see and experience on earth. My faith is rooted in who you are and the promise of heaven. So let's develop this idea a little bit further. If we look at, can, can, can we do some theology this morning? Can, can we start? We're in church. It's probably not a bad idea to do a little bit of theology. Sin. The concept of sin. Truth is, we are no longer good people. We have this, we have this belief that we, we're decent, honest, good people. And we, and we looked at this a little bit a few weeks back. I think it was Pastor Jeff that, that took us. But, but we were created in his image and we were good. Genesis 1.27, God looked at people and he said, it's good. <laughs> and then the choices that Adam and Eve made, and we trace our heritage back to them, we can never be deemed good. Again, we're never going to be good enough. He gave us the choice for evil and we wanted evil, so we took it. And it's faulty logic for us to say as human beings, the choices that we make day by day, righteous or unrighteous, that those actually make us good. We say in our own human world that a murderer, that a thief, that a cheat, that's a bad person. And a missionary or a firefighter or someone who saves lives, that's a good person, right? We would say, these people are bad, these people are good. And Jesus said, you're all sinners, and he said that those, those, who, those who hate are the same as those who commit murder. <laughs> and those who are jealous are the same as those who steal. And those even who do everything and have every intention to do the right thing are still human beings and are still sinful because we are clothed in sinful nature. And Jesus died for both groups <laughs> while we were still sinners. In fact, there's nowhere in Scripture that we can look and, say, and see that if we do enough good things, we'll be good. And there's a couple of certain bad things that make us bad. God says that sin exists in humanity, so we're bad. So when we look at this entire concept of do bad things happen to good people, there are no good people. <laughs> people, people are sinful. And so theologically, now that doesn't mean, listen, I know there's a lot of real quality people here, like, like, Evan's a great soccer player and a good friend, and I'm glad to have him on my team, and I'm glad, to be, I'm glad to be friends with him. He's a good guy. But theologically speaking, he's a very bad man. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. 
Because of sin, we're not good people. And in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, and God made it that way. And there was no pain, and there was no hurt, and there was no bad. And the only thing that stopped this was Adam and Eve deciding to take on sin, to do the one thing that he told them not to do, to question his, to, to question what God had asked of them. And they brought pain into us. And we can read it in Genesis three, fourteen to 19. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, the serpent tem- tempted, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all of the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and will strike, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Not a real happy message from God that day for Adam and Eve. But he said, you chose sin, and you need to know that there is great consequence for sin. And the bad stuff that we experience in this world is not traced back necessarily to the choices we made yesterday or today. Some of the bad stuff we experience are, goes right back to the beginning of humanity when sin entered the world. Now the good news is that we're looking forward to a day when we return to the state of perfection in the garden. One day we'll get to heaven and, and have that communion with him again and there'll be no sin and there'll be no consequence of sin. You know, there's always the people that talk about they're going... There's the party in hell with all their friends. There's no party in hell going on. The party is taking place in heaven where there's no pain and where we're just with Jesus. That's where the party is taking place. And that's pretty awesome. But we do need to realize that that only comes when sin is removed. That, that, that perfection, that, that kind of peace only comes when sin is removed from the equation. And theologically speaking, we need to remember, it's not God that brings on the pain. It's us that brought on the pain. It's us that brought on the choice. It was Adam Adam and Eve. And we can look at them and go, Adam and Eve. But bad things happen to us because we're not inherently good people. So the next logical argument goes, okay, okay, I get that. We're not perfect. But why does it feel like that God is picking on me? Or God sometimes allows bad things to happen to Christians. And this really is a matter of perspective. And we can see that I've been, I've been working in the community and, and, and in counseling, and, and I've seen this, that there, through hundreds of clinical trials, proven time and time again, when a person is given a drug that, or given a pill that, that they are told to believe will help them get better, even if there's nothing in that pill that actually makes them, that changes anything biologically about them, they will often improve their symptoms. They will often get better because they have a belief that they're getting better. They believe that there's something about that that's going to make them better, and they get better. It's we have our brain has an amazing ability to 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 do some actual some physiological physiological changes just by believing that we're taking them. It's called the placebo effect. If we want to look for the bad things that are happening in our lives, 
we can see the bad things that are happening in our life. If we have this inherent belief that, that bad things are happening to us and God's picking on us and God is allowing these struggles in our life, we will see them. And we will see them in our lives and we will see them in other people's lives. If we believe something to be true, we can usually find things to back up that evidence. And we start looking for, we start looking for evidence that kind of backs up the truths that we believe. And I, I went through and I just thought about some truths that we believe in our world because we've just always believed that this is true. Number one, it's, let's, let's go back to Thanksgiving dinner, Easter dinner, Christmas dinner. You have turkey, right? And what does turkey make you do? Turkey makes you sleepy, right? Wrong. <laughs> there's a, there's, there's a, there's a certain, um, there's, it's called tryptophan. And tryptophan is found in meats. And people believe that, that the tryptophan in Turkey is the drug that makes them tired. So after the big turkey dinner, we all want to, oh, we lay out on a couch and our bellies are big and we're full. And the tryptophan makes you turkey. There's actually more tryptophan in roast beef and in ham. Turkey actually has low amounts of tryptophan. You want to know why you're tired after Thanksgiving dinner? You had eight pounds of potatoes and you had, you had, you had a giant loaf of bread or something. You had, carbohydrates make you tired. And when you put carbs in your belly, you have, to pro- you have to digest them and it makes you really tired. So when you have stuffing and pie and potatoes and there's like crust on the bro- having you want to be healthy. So you have like the broccoli casserole with cheese and breadcrumbs and sour cream and all. And then, oh my goodness, that turkey made me so tired. Just let me go over there. No, it's not. But we believe that is the turkey. So then, so then sometimes we'll go and you'll have a turkey sandwich. Like, I'm still feeling a little bit tired because turkey makes me tired. It's, we've, we've, we tricked ourselves to saying that, that turkey makes us sleepy. Who got the flu shot this year? And we got the flu shot? Who got the flu shot? You can get the flu from the flu shot, right? Wrong. No, you can't. We have this tone. I'm going to get the flu. What they put in is a dead strain of last year's flu virus inside you. And you're not going to get the flu from the flu virus. However, there are millions of people that won't take it because it's going to give me the flu. I'm really worried about it. If, but you go to the doctor's office and then they, where you're, where there's people coughing and sneezing <coughs> all over you and you live in, you live in Canada where it's cold and wet. So we're losing heat and there's active flu virus all over the place and you get the shot and you're in this place where there's people coughing and maybe have the flu and you think, that's that shot that gave me the flu virus. It, it happens to me every year, the week after I get the flu, and you're probably all nervous that week, so you're stressed and your body's resources are low, and you're, and you're just watching for you to get sick, and then bam, you're set because you got the flu shot and gave you the flu virus. Sugar. <laughs> Our wonderful friend. Sugar makes you hyper, right? Right? Sugar makes, wrong. Sugar does not make you hyper. Sugar gives you energy. Sugar gives you, you need sugar to exist. It, you, you know what makes you awake and it's, you ha, you're having a can of Coke and, or you're having a, a cup of coffee. It's not the sugar, it's the caffeine. You just put four shots of espresso in that coffee. And it's not caffeine actually works in you and it doesn't allow, it's, caffeine's like, we have like governors in our body that helps us slow down. And when you put caffeine into your body, those governors don't work anymore. You're just like, and you, and you go and you're gone. You, you need sugar to exist and to, to, to move. Sugar is, is the fuel. It's the caffeine that makes us. What about, what about, um, what, w- one more. Facial hair. I love this one. You see teenagers and they want, they want a nice big beard, right? So they get a razor and they're like scraping their face because they think that, that shaving makes their hair grow 
thicker. I'm like, what? I'm going to make it grow. I'm just going to keep shaving every day. And they got, their faces are raw and bleeding and then like all, and everything. But it's, no, the people that shave, the, the, the teenagers that are growing a beard and they have to shave every day, it's not because they're shaving every day that their facial hair is growing. They have facial hair. They have to shave every day. It's backwards. It doesn't mean that just because you don't have it, you can shave and you can make it grow. But if we believe it, then we start doing it. There's all these truths that we have. And they kind of rule our society. And bad things don't just happen to bad people. Bad things happen to people. (laughs) And if you're looking for times when bad things happen to good people, you'll find them. And if you're looking, like we, we look at... We look at Nelson Mandela, and I don't know where Nelson Mandela, what's going on right now, and I know he's, he's sick he's towards the end of life, and man, he spent decades in jail for trying to bring freedom and trying to bring peace. And we look at, why does a bad thing happen to him? And we look at the city of Calgary over the last few weeks, and we think, why are bad things happening to all the decent people there? And we look at, what, like I said, what happened with that family just a couple of weeks. I guess it was a week and a half ago. What happened with that family? Why are the bad things happening? And bad things are definitely indeed happening to undeserving people. But bad things are happening to bad people too. Who did, who did God kill off in the flood? It was the evil people that didn't listen to Noah. In Egypt, he killed off the Egyptian children and the, and the, the, the children of Egypt and their, um, their army, not the Israelites who were following him. In Jericho, we see Rahab, who was spared because she helped out God's servants. And we don't really even know whether we would classify her as good or bad, because we think, well, she was a prostitute, but then she was helping God. Where, would, where do we classify her? Is she good or bad? Is God punishing good or bad? Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad. Bad things happen to people. And it's the sin in the world that's making it happen. Again, let's go back to a little bit of theology. Who does God love more, Christ followers or those who don't know him? (laughs) We're all God's children, right? And he loves us all the same. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, theologically, we know this, but we have this understanding. There's something inside of us that says, because I come to church, because I tithe, because I serve God, he's going to, he he loves me. (laughs) And the people that, the people that are doing wrong and actively against him, he doesn't love them as much. But no. No, God would have died for us regardless of what we chose to do. And you know, he wants to protect us from every hurt. And at some day, we will get back to that point. Regardless, but regardless if we're serving him or not, he still sacrificed his son Jesus for us. And it's not our actions that are preventing us from experiencing this. It's the sinful nature. David even admits this earlier in the psalm. In Psalm 25, let's go back a little bit. Verse 7 says, Do you not remember the rebellious sins? Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. David was righteous, but David was sinful. He was a person. Bad things happen to people. What's more is that we can't judge an event in the moment. It's not wise of us to start saying, Lord, are you punishing me because you're experiencing a little bit of pain in one day? I found this little story that's a a really interesting thing that that kind of illustrates this. There was once a farmer who owned a horse, who owned a horse. One day the horse ran away and all the people in the town came to console him because of the loss. Oh, I don't know, said the farmer. 
Maybe it's a bad thing and maybe it's not. A few days later, the horse returned to the farm accompanied by 20 other horses. Apparently, he'd found some wild horses and he'd made friends. All of the townspeople came to congratulate him. Now you have a stable full of horses. Oh, I don't know, said the farmer. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's not. A few days later, the farmer's son was out riding one of the new horses. The horse got wild and threw him off, breaking his son's leg. And all the people in town came to console the farmer because of the accident. I don't know, said the farmer. Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's not. A few days later, the government declared war and instituted a draft of all able-bodied young men. They came to town and carted off hundreds of young men, except the farmer's son who had a broken leg. Now I know, said the farmer. It was a good thing my horse ran away. (laughs) It's funny how quick we are to judge something that happens in our lives and say, Lord, why are you punishing me? Lord, why are you doing this? You You ever lost a job or had to change a job? And you say, God, what's going on? Why is the company downsizing? Why, why do I have to move? Why do I have to change job? Why is my boss leaving? Lord, what's going on? And we say, God, you've brought pain into my life. You've brought judgment into my life. And we don't know. We don't know what a change of job has. We don't know what God is asking us to do. What about a change in a relationship? And there's been, there's been, there's been something that's happened and all of a sudden you've, there's, there's, there's been a break in a friendship or, 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 or there's, you're, you're experiencing some conflict. And we say, God, you brought this into my life. And we don't know what God's doing. Maybe there's sickness that you're dealing with and we don't, we say, God, you're punishing me right now. And for us to judge an event in the moment and to look at it in one instance of time and say, Lord, I know definitively that this is curse, that this is bad, that this is you bringing judgment, is really not wise. Because our Lord who sits in heaven, who is the creator of everything, and sees everything and knows everything, doesn't look at us at an instant of time. And God's not worried about our comfort always. He's worried about developing our character. He's worried about refining. He's worried about eternity. He's not necessarily worried about that, that one instance. And we say something like, God, why would you bring this situation into my life today? And God says, because I know where I need you tomorrow. Joshua needed, uh, Joseph needed to get to Egypt. How did he get to Egypt? His brothers threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave. And then he had to get accused of rape in somebody's house. To get to Egypt, to where God was going to use him, that's how he got there. To get to the promised land, Abraham needed to go to the desert for generations. And if we look at our moment right now, our, our life right now, we may be saying, God, why are you bringing this into my life? And God's saying, I know where I need you tomorrow. So don't question where you are today. Earlier in that psalm that I read before, Psalm 25, verse 3, no one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. Disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. This was a psalm written because David was afraid and maybe questioning God a bit, but he was still able to write, that no one who trusts in God will ever be disgraced in the end. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing if we could walk out of this place today and say, I know that God knows my future. I don't know. But I know that in the end, I will not be disgraced. And this leads right into the last reason today. Why do bad things happen? We don't grow without adversity. You cannot grow without adversity. 
I have a theory on change. I believe that people never change until the pain of changing is less than the, the pain of staying the same. If it doesn't hurt that much to stay where we are, then why would we go and change? <laughs> because change always brings pain. Change always is going to be uncomfortable. In a couple of weeks, uh, Amanda and I just, uh, we're, we're moving down the street. We're moving like two kilometers away. And I'm thinking, we are going to have to put everything in a box and move two kilometers down the street. We could just put it on like, we just pack up our wheelbarrow and carry it down the street. It's going to be uncomfortable to change. We're going to have to change routines. And in, in, a, in, a, in a bigger setting, whenever change is going to come in, into, into your life, it's going to require you feeling differently, acting differently. And that's not comfortable. We don't like change. And in fact, we don't change until it's going to hurt too much to stay the same as we are. So that's why we start to change. And sometimes we don't do that well ourselves. And God says, I'm going to bring a little bit of adversity, push you to where you need to get. Do you know that pain in our bodies, when we, when we actually hurt ourselves, there's actually, a, there's actually a reason for that pain. There's actually a benefit for, for pain. It, it should limit our action. If we hurt our ankle, we broke our ankle, and we didn't experience any pain, we would just keep walking on that ankle, right? And eventually, our ankle might completely become useless. There'd be no muscle there in a fall. The pain that we're experiencing has a purpose to modify how we're living, how we're acting. If we didn't experience the hurt, we wouldn't change. And if we were never challenged, many of us would never move on to harder things. And if we gave up after failing the first time, or if we just gave up when, when pain came in, imagine where we would be. Imagine what would happen if you're, if you're, if you're raising kids. You know what that is. You, 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 you want your kids to experience a little bit of failure, and then they change and they move on. You want them to experience a little bit of failure, and then they change and they grow. And they go. But for some reason, we get to becoming adults, and we say, well, I don't want to experience failure anymore. <laughs> I don't want to experience hurt and pain anymore. I don't want to experience this discomfort anymore. Maybe the discomfort we feel is just the Spirit of God saying, it's time to move on. I'm refining you a little bit. It's time to grow. So it's been a long, convoluted answer to a very difficult question that may not even be a definitive answer. But I know that many of us come this morning in the midst of something difficult. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's something that's been brought on. Maybe it's just an internal struggle that's going on inside of you. And you're saying, Lord, why am I... why am I struggling with this? Why am I at such unrest? Why does it feel like something bad has come into my life? And God, why are you punishing me? Maybe God's refining. Maybe God's asking you to move. Maybe God's, ask, maybe God's just saying, this isn't me. This is just the result of sin in the world. This is not a specific curse from a bad choice you made a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back because... I want us to respond this morning in whatever way feels right. And they're going to sing a song. And there's some names of God. And, and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, we're going to sing about that God, regardless of whether good things or bad things are happening, I'm still going to bless your name. And God, I'm going to believe that you're my provider. I'm going to believe you're my healer. God, I'm going to believe that you're the one, you're my deliverer, you're my shelter. And whatever your experience is this morning, would you respond to God and just say, Lord, I trust you. 
Lord, I know that my I know that things aren't going to be perfect, and Lord, I know it's not always going to be comfortable, but I know that you're still God regardless. And I know that you're my peace in the midst of times when it's not peaceful around me. There's a verse of scripture that I love and I pray with people all the time. And it said that he's our peace that goes beyond, that passes understanding. Meaning, when what we understand should be, this is hard and this is stressful. He's our peace. He's peace when we shouldn't have that. So I'd ask you to stand this morning. And if you want somebody to pray with you, then we'll have some, some of our team around just to pray with you. And you can come to some place around here. If you just want to stand and worship and say, Lord, I trust you for what you have, then you stand and worship. If you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to walk around the room, that's fine. You do what you need to do this morning. But collectively, we're going to say, Lord, we know you're in charge and we trust you.